Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Raising Healthy Eaters, the podcast. I'm Bridget, your host and founder of Raising Healthy Eaters. This is episode four of our 10 episode series on the do's and don'ts of feeding kids. If you're a new listener or you've missed any of the previous episodes, make sure to get them on your playlist so you have all of the tips that will help reduce stress around food and meals with your kids. Today, I am going to talk about another don't of feeding kids, and that is restriction. This can also be called restrictive feeding practices. And what restriction is, is the act of prohibiting a child from eating any of a specific food or more than a certain amount of food. In other words, a child's access to any type of food is controlled or limited. So let me take a minute to tell you guys what restriction or restrictive feeding practices look like in practice so that you really have an understanding of how this shows up. And then we'll talk about why it happens and what the outcomes of it are. All right, so there are five ways that restriction tends to occur when a child is eating. And the first way is controlling the amount your child eats. And this can be controlling the amount of anything, whether it is a specific item that's part of a meal or snack or the entire meal or snack itself. That can be something like pre-portioning the plate for kids who are old enough to serve themselves. So the little guys need help and we need to put the appropriate amount of food on the plate to get them started. But for kids who are old enough to serve themselves, we want to avoid pre-portioning the plate because that is a form of restriction. Another way the amount can be controlled is by saying no to seconds when a kiddo asks for more. Even if this is in an attempt to have them eat the veggies they haven't touched. So, for example, you might say, No, you can't have more spaghetti if you're still hungry. You need to eat your veggies. And what's happening here is we've got a combination of both restriction of the spaghetti and then pressure to eat the vegetables. So, that's a combo that we really want to avoid. And the other way control can show up with the amount of food is by placing limits on the amount of dessert foods or other highly palatable or highly rewarding foods. And this is something I talked about a little bit in previous episodes, but that restriction on the amount of, you know, a sweet or something considered unhealthy. That brings us to the second form of restriction, which is making specific foods completely off limits. Cookies, candy, desserts, you know, different foods like that. And often these are made off limits because of views on their health value. So a lot of times these foods might be avoided or, you know, they're not brought into the home because they're not seen as something that contributes to the health of the child. While that's okay to not necessarily have them in your home, if your child feels like they're never allowed to have them, that is a form of restriction that is going to lead to the outcomes that I'll talk about shortly. The third form of restriction 
is only serving quote unquote healthy foods. This kind of goes hand in hand with the one I just talked about, but just having, you know, the fruits and the veggies and the whole grains and the beans and the lean meats and all of that. And while that is all really great to be supporting your child's nutrition and health in that way, it might convey a sense of restriction around the foods that don't meet the criteria of being healthy. The fourth type of restrictive feeding practice is offering low-calorie, low-fat, or sugar-free foods. And again, this is in an attempt to achieve a certain level of health or nutritional value, which again isn't a bad thing, but it does cause us to use these restrictive feeding practices at times. You want to make sure you've got a wide variety of foods being offered and not just a low calorie, low fat, sugar free. And this is something I can talk more about in another episode, but generally speaking, kiddos don't need those types of diet foods. And the fifth way that restriction can show up is with verbal or other pressure to stop eating. And this might sound something like, are you sure you want seconds? You've had a lot already. Or I really don't think you should keep eating. You've eaten too much. And when I say other pressure to stop eating, this could be nonverbal pressure. So things like maybe some sort of sideways look or glance or this look of shock on your face when they ask for more or they eat everything on the plate and they want more. So we really have to watch our response to our child's requests for more to make sure that we're not communicating in some way that they need to have some restrictions placed on how much they're eating. Now, you might be wondering at this point why I'm even talking about restriction because a lot of what I've talked about so far has centered around us wanting our kids to eat better or eat more, and you would think that would encourage the opposite, right? But actually wanting our kids to eat better or eat more are a few of the reasons we end up inadvertently restricting foods. For example, you might be concerned about the health value of the food and put limits on how much or how often your child can have them. So this could be something like cookies aren't healthy, so we don't eat them. And there are other reasons too. There has been quite a bit of research done on restrictive feeding practices and overall they tend to be associated with a child's body size or a child's weight. And what I mean by this is a child who's been classified or perceived as overweight or quote-unquote too big might be restricted in how much they're allowed to eat. And for many parents who are concerned about their child's weight, restriction often seems like the logical solution. Interestingly, the research has also found that parents who aren't happy with their own body size or their own body image are more likely to restrict their child's intake as a way to prevent the child from having the same experience. So it's used as sort of a protective mechanism. And sometimes parents who have struggled with weight in the past 
restrict food for their child as a strategy to prevent their child from going through the same difficulties socially and emotionally that were associated with the weight problem that the parent experienced. Restrictive feeding practices also pop up with parents who have had a strained relationship with food and might be fearful about their own child's relationship with food. So if a parent has a long history of dieting, and again, this kind of comes back to comfort with your own body size and body image, we tend to see that kind of placed on the child where the child's intake then gets limited because, again, the parent has concerns centered around weight. Whatever the reason for the use of restriction, it is always a feeding practice that does more harm than good. That's why it is our second don't when we're talking about the do's and don'ts of feeding kids. So what are the outcomes of restrictive feeding? Why is it a practice to avoid. Again, there is a lot of research on this topic that has identified the same outcomes for children who do experience restrictive feeding practices. And the first consequence is obsession over food, usually over the food or foods that are being restricted. So obsession shows up as a kid constantly asking or begging for a specific food, whether it be chocolate or candy or ice cream or nachos. It doesn't always have to be a dessert food or a so-called treat food, but it's something they want all the time because it's been restricted and that makes it a lot more desirable. And this is simple human psychology that affects adults too. You can probably think of a time that you kind of obsessed over food because you couldn't have it or were limiting it. If you've ever gone on a diet, you might have found that all of the things you couldn't eat just looked that much more appealing. I will give you an example from my own family, and I have experienced this with my kids because I was guilty of using restriction with sweets in the past. I had two of my kiddos who would constantly ask for chocolate or dessert, and that was usually the request. Can we have chocolate? Can we have dessert? And it was every night after dinner, multiple times. I will tell you that completely stopped when I began allowing a little bit of something after dinner and they were happy to not have a lot of it. And I say a little bit, not because I was purposefully restricting, but they were just happy to have something. And so it often didn't take much. And then we found a little bit more balance around mealtime. Now, this obsession with food can lead a child to sneak food and eat it secretly. And this is another one of those negative outcomes of restriction because when that obsession for the restricted food hits a certain level, the drive to get it and to have it becomes very strong and children will start to hide food from their parents and eat it in secret. If you've ever found empty wrappers in the corners of your child's room, this is probably a red flag or a signal that they're sneaking food as the result of 
restriction. The danger with this is that over time, if children continue to sneak food and eat it in secret while they're younger, as they grow into adolescence, that can become a very problematic eating behavior for them. And so that's definitely something we want to avoid. The next outcome or consequence from using restriction is overindulgence in the food when the restriction is lifted or the food becomes available. I'm going to use Halloween as an example here just because it's really easy to illustrate the point with Halloween. But think about how many kids will attempt to eat every single piece of candy in their Halloween bucket after trick-or-treating? And how many of you have kids that are happy to just maybe take a couple of pieces and be okay with that and leave more for tomorrow? I know Halloween is a special circumstance and there's a lot of excitement and hype around it that can lead a kid to want to eat more candy than they normally would. But my point here is that if they feel restricted with those types of things throughout the entire year, then on Halloween night, when it's okay to have those all of a sudden, they're going to go crazy and they're going to eat as much of it as they can. So ultimately, each of these outcomes of restriction can reduce a child's ability to regulate their own intake, meaning they no longer pay attention to their feelings of hunger and fullness or they stop experiencing fullness. And that's problematic because when they stop experiencing fullness, it's much easier for them to overeat. And we know that overeating causes weight gain over time. And this is really what the majority of studies have found, that restrictive feeding practices tend to lead to weight gain and childhood obesity. So although we often use it as a way to prevent those problems, it actually ends up leading to those problems. Surprisingly, the opposite is also a possibility. And I think this happens less often, but I do want to share this with you. Some children have really big appetites. They've got a fast metabolism, right? They might seem like they have a hollow leg, so to speak. We don't know where they're putting it. And these kiddos can be perceived as eating too much and often out of concern for a future weight problem. Parents might stop them from eating more and limit the total quantity they can have at a meal or a snack, not allowing seconds, maybe pre-portioning the plate. Over time, this can lead to underfeeding, which can turn into an underweight problem. So some kids do need more and they eat a lot because they need it. And if we don't allow them to have it, they might not grow as expected and they might not grow to match the body size that they would normally be that would be healthy for them. I'll share a personal experience here. One of my children can eat a surprising amount of food at any given meal. And we do joke about my child having a hollow leg because we're, we're just wondering how on earth can this child eat so much? Because sometimes it's, it's more than I can. But we do allow them to make the decision of how much is needed. And my kiddo has become a really great self-regulator. And we don't have any weight problems. I hope that's 
reassuring to you to hear that you can let a child eat more than you think they would need and they will be okay. They won't necessarily develop a weight problem. I understand that how much our children choose to eat really can be shocking at times, but we still need to let them stop when they decide to stop. So the takeaway message for today is to trust our children to know how much they need to eat because they do know and they're really good at eating just the right amount when we allow them to do so. If you've recognized that restrictive feeding practices are used in your home, just sit with that for a minute and try to connect with the reason they're being used. It can be really helpful to write down those reasons and determine what those feelings are that are driving those reasons because then you can really look at it and kind of help yourself disconnect from that outcome that you're hoping to achieve with your child's weight or their eating. So really the idea here is to practice letting those reasons go giving yourself an outlet for those feelings so they don't drive the way you feed your child. And this will take time, but you'll see changes in your child's eating as they're allowed to make more decisions about how much to eat. Thank you again for tuning in to Raising Healthy Eaters, the podcast. I hope this was helpful for you today. If you'd like more information about Raising Healthy Eaters and what we do, visit our website at www.raisingmyhealthyeater.com. I will have that link in the show notes for you along with our social links for Facebook and Instagram. All right, take care and have a great day.